is the Eminem Planet Podcast, episode 67. I'm your host, Joel Ambedon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is my friend, Jeff Wonko. Now, Jeff is a math teacher educator. Um, he's a friend. He's a mentor. I'm going to gush on him at the beginning of the episode. You're going to hear a little bit about his background, uh, or a lot of bit about his background. But one thing I didn't know about Jeff until later on in our relationship together as mentor and friend and whatever is he's a puzzle maker. He likes to think about and he's been fascinated with puzzles for most of his life and and has gotten so far into it that he's a creator of puzzles and he has books on puzzles and it's like one of those things like what? And then so that knowledge is there and then at the same time we have this kind of wordle craze that is coming up. So if you haven't have just in case there's someone out there that has not heard of a wordle so there's a um, website. You go to Wordle.com. Now it goes to New York Times because it's so popular. New York Times bought it for their puzzles. Anyway, and you have to guess a five-letter or five-word, five-letter word in six tries. And when you guess a letter that's uh, not in the right place, it turns into a yellow. There's a yellow blocks there. And then if you guess something that's in the right place, it's green. And so when you're done, you have this like, you know, hopefully when you finish within, I like to do it within four, four, but, you know, six if I'm desperate. But you'll see the, the you know, full green blocks. And so that's why, you know, on uh, social media, and I was one of those that were like, what are all these like pictures of? green and yellow gray blocks that people are posting on social media and like saying, Oh, you know, four out of six or three out of six or two out of six. And I'm like, what was that? And I, and I was one of the foolish people that had to Google what is a wordle. And now, now I can't get enough. And, and there's a lot of people that can't get enough. And now there's not only is there a wordle, there's worldle, which is W O R L D L E, which is where you try to guess, you give you a country and you try to guess in a number of steps, what uh, a country that's the outline of the country that's in black. And you're trying to guess based on the outline where that country is. And then it'll give you a direction and, um, a distance for where that country is in the world. And that's kind of fun. And so that's another offshoot of this sort of puzzle craze. And then there's Nerdle, where you're trying to guess a, um, trying to guess an equation in, I believe, six steps. And the same, same sort of thing where it gives you, you notice know, like, hey, these operations are there, these numbers are there, these numbers aren't there, or these are in the right spot or versus the wrong spot. Um, that's another one. Quirtle is four wordles at the same time. Um, I've done that, and that was based off recommendation from Jeff that you hear. And he actually has ones where you do eight wordles at the same time, and there's 16 wordles at the same time. It's like, this is getting crazy. So anyway, puzzles are out there. Puzzles are made. And I think one of the things that came out with the pandemic was like people started doing the New York Times crossword puzzles. And you could do it in a certain time and compare times with each other. There's this thing about puzzles that has been going on forever right and so um thinking about that and then also seeing some of the creativity on how people are taking advantage of this craze like what teachers are doing in classrooms with puzzles and so i always wanted to have jeff on to talk about uh puzzles and talking about teaching with puzzles but it just kind of coincides with this kind of wordle craze that's going on at the same time as well so it's a great conversation i loved having it um i ordered jeff's two books they weren't there in time so i could see it but i mean the the same things that what he's talking about in uh in today's episode and, and he's talking about his future book. So his third book uh, on puzzles. I'm seeing it right now in some of these uh, other two books that he has too. So it's a great resource. It's a way to get at uh, thinking and teaching and some of the stuff we want to do in math education, especially, but even to, the idea of risk taking, like kids are willing to take a risk in a game and this could be a low bar way to get kids to like, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to try and figure things out. I'm going to use some logic here on the structure of either if it's a nurdle for an equation or for this, for like what letters go together in a word. And so now that eliminates possibilities. And anyway, puzzles are fun. Puzzles are engaging. And now we get a chance to talk to an expert on puzzles and thinking about how do you teach with puzzles? And he's got some great ideas and I can't wait for you. And, and I'm talking too much. So let's, without any further delay, here's my conversation with Jeff Wonko. My friend, my colleague, my mentor, Jeff Wonko. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. He's here. That's a lot. He's here That's in the Amino Thanks, Jeff, for joining me. How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. I could have put hero. Hero? No. No. Scholar? You can stop. Yeah. Just stop. <laughs> Just it's all good. No, that's really odd. 
<laughs> Jeff, uh, it is, I mean, wow. It is an honor to have you on the podcast. I'm, I'm not just saying that. And like, I don't, I've never just said it to anyone out there. Never just said that, but it is an honor. I mean, we, we go back. I just, I'm looking at my uh, service teaching and research in math education, like uh, bandana. It's up on the wall from 2012. Oh, yeah. We are part of a, that's where we met. We were, uh, I was a part of a fellowship program that was sponsored by NSF, by uh, Barb and Bob uh, Reese. They set up this program for, to help young and up and coming math ed uh, researchers figure out what does it mean to do this job. And when we got there, you were one of the smiling faces uh, to greet us when we joined that program. And, and just, and since then we've had a wonderful, like, like again, mentor, mentee, but then colleague. And I would say even friend, Jeff, you bet, you bet, Joel, you got it. You hit the nail on the head. I love it. I love can it. You, can you give a little bit of background uh, to who you are, how you got to your position there in up in Ohio at the other Oxford at, at the Oxford. Oh, the whoa, University. Whoa, all right. It's in, it's in Oxford. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm at Miami university, which is in Oxford, Ohio. Um, and so uh, it's, it's, um, it's a great place to be. This is my 22nd year um, on, on faculty here. Um, and it's also where I attended as an undergraduate. So it's, it's, oh. it's kind of a, a, an old home for me. Um, it's, it's great for me to be around here. And uh, I really, I really do enjoy um, the, the town. I enjoy the university. It's, it's been a great place for me. And so what are your titles, yeah. Jeff? Yeah. I, I want to know, like, cause they pile so, up titles, titles. So right now my title is professor. That's my title. So I've had I've had three different um, administrative positions up until now, um, but right now I am serving as a professor. So I am back on faculty and and doing doing the good work of teaching and, nice. and service and research. Absolutely. Yeah, because I because you were in the, the provost's office for a little while. That's right. Is that right? Yeah, the past four years. The past four years, I served as an associate provost. Um, before that. Um, I was a department chair. And before that, I was an associate dean here in the College nice. of Education, Health and, and Society. So. Well, and I know you have, and I've seen your your leadership abilities, your abilities to work with with others and, and again, lead people to figure out what they're doing with their pathways with regards to math education and the people that were in, in the STAR program. But then also knowing also, too, you have a passion for teaching as well. So I know that this is, you know, Yes, thank you for serving in those capacities, but I'm, I'm sure your students are, are delighted that they have more access to you as a professor. You know, it's, it's really kind of fun, uh, Joel. Actually, a lot of the students didn't even know who I was um, in the last four years um, mm. and, and even some of the years before that. So um, as, as an associate provost, I wasn't teaching at all. It was a full-time oh, wow. okay. uh, administrative gig. Yeah. And so I wasn't teaching anything. So the students didn't really know that much about me um, other than some students who I would meet through student government and some other yeah, yeah. things. Um, uh, and I would teach a, a first year seminar for, for education uh, majors and, and, and other majors in our division. Um, so I got to meet a number of students that way, but it wasn't really focused on, on just teaching or teaching math education stuff. So that yeah. was, uh, so it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm teaching a couple of courses right now. I've got one course that's on STEM ways of thinking. So that's been a ton of fun for me to put that together. Um, working with colleagues in other STEM fields across the university, pulling in uh, their expertise and, and developing some resources here for our students. And then I'm also teaching a, a course in our middle childhood program here, um, which is for grades four through nine in Ohio, a course on, on mathematics, history, and technology. So basically we had, we had things that we needed to get covered for accreditation for, uh, for technology and things we need to get covered for history of mathematics. And we didn't have a good place to put those as entire courses in and of themselves. We didn't have enough room in the program. So we combined them. And, and I taught this course about three or four times before I started to do some other things. And so when I was uh, tagged to teach this course this semester, I went back, pulled up an old syllabus. Joel, the syllabus that I pulled up was from uh, spring of 2007. 
So 15 years ago, the last time I taught this course <laughs> on technology and history, and and the history hasn't changed, but man, the technology has. And so oh that's goodness, been a ton yeah. of fun for me to put stuff together uh, for that class. Oh, yeah, so just, yeah, so I'm getting, yeah, getting to teach some classes like this and, and uh, reconnecting with a lot of students. Yeah, just even, I mean, uh, just thinking back to my own uh, education at the University of Wisconsin, I think I might have told you this, I had the TI was it 92 plus it was the like the world destroy it looked like uh something yeah, like yeah. tony stark yeah. would have invented you're exactly um, right yeah and we had to b- not only buy that but buy the flash like add-on chip to put into it so you could do like the geometry to drag and i think there was like a geometer sketch pad addition to there and and now what's incredible is like all those tools that had all the like technology and like software that you had to purchase or a device you had to purchase and stuff like that now i mean you think of it it's pretty i mean i don't know if it's exactly as powerful but the tools that are available free like uh, available out there like with desmos and codap and all these sorts of the um, geogebra like it's just kind of amazing so it's almost like this the door is open to to using technology and access yeah yeah I, i look back at my syllabus from 15 years ago and I was showing kids um, some basics about using Excel as a spreadsheet. Yeah. And, um, and then I was also uh, teaching lessons on Geometer Sketchpad and Fathom. Yes. And oh, so Fathom. Yeah. Those, those are just great, great tools. But for crying out loud, we've got so much that is uh, much, much, much less expensive. And I really think it's a lot more powerful now. Yeah. So um, Desmos, we were just doing a lesson in class yesterday around some Desmos tools and looking at some other online calculators, we we took a look at Wolfram Alpha, mm-hmm. and the students were just blown away by some of the things that they um, they could do there, and had no idea that that was that was possible. So it's really important when we're talking with future teachers to help them to know what some of the technology is right now, um, and to be prepared for what may be coming because. Uh, they've got to know what their students are going to have access to, um, to help to, to, to move forward with some ideas, but also just so that they can be prepared in knowing that their students are going to be having access to some of these other tools and don't just assume that they can do the same kind of lessons or the same kind of problems that they maybe had been thinking about before. Yeah. Excellent. And so like thinking about that and thinking about the creative thinking that's available, like, the thing that kind of sparked this conversation about um, uh, for this podcast is I saw you had a little uh, Facebook post out there where you're saying, Hey, does anyone like to look at some puzzles? And I knew you'd done like research on puzzles and I didn't know how extensive it was, but you're like, Hey, here's some puzzles, go ahead and try them out. And if, if you do them, rank them and send them. And I, I think I, you guys gave me that first set and I finished it in like, I don't know hour or so i just i couldn't get couldn't put them down and and that's (laughs) like hey you want some more i'm like yeah i'll take some more and then so but just this idea of puzzles and so i know you have a passion for puzzles and and i know uh it's been for a long time but why puzzles what why why would a a math teacher educator care about puzzles so just for me historically so this is puzzles were the thing that really hooked me onto mathematics when i was in fourth grade oh wow yeah, it was it was something that just got me excited. In fact, um, do you remember those scholastic order forms for oh, scholastic yeah, uh-huh. books? Yeah, yeah, I was so always so excited to get those. And in fourth grade, um, we got one one time, and there was a book in there called uh, uh, "Perplexing Puzzles and Tantalizing Teasers." And I'm like, <laughs> that's got to be the greatest title ever in the world, you know, and, and it was a Martin Gardner book. And I did, had no idea who Martin Gardner was. Um, I ordered this book, a paperback, got it. And I just, I lived in this book, right? This was, you know, each page you turn it and there's something else different. And it's a lot of, there's some wordplay. There's just some funny riddles, um, interesting old school kind of situations, but also it was, you know, there were pictures like, could you draw this thing without lifting your pencil? Right. You know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And and it just got me really intrigued. And so that was for me, that was kind of the start of things. Um, and so I I um, by the time I was in middle school, I started 
um, getting Games Magazine. So back in the day, Games Magazine premiered, I think, like in 78, 79, um, when I was in upper elementary or, or lower middle school grades. And I started getting that magazine. And um, I have I continue to still get that magazine, although it has gone through some different iterations. It's now Games World of Puzzles, but it's it's a magazine that really got me um interested in tons and tons of different things, all sorts of new kinds of puzzles. And, and basically, you know, two types for me, there, there are um, the language dependent puzzles, like, uh, like a crossword puzzle. I think crossword mm-hmm. puzzles are absolutely amazing. Tons of really good stuff, um, but very much language and culture dependent puzzles. Right. All right. So those were the, the puzzles that I think a lot of people are mostly familiar with. And then what I come to call the language independent logic puzzles. So basically, um, the 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 big kahuna there is Sudoku. So it's a it's a puzzle where if you know the rules, you could go pick up a magazine in any country, um, any any place across the world, and see a Sudoku puzzle and go, I know what this is. I can do this. So it's language independent, and it's also a type of a logic puzzle. So mm-hmm. so I, I always had that kind of in the back of my mind that that was something that I really enjoyed. I I really liked doing these, and I really liked the mathematics that was behind them. And when I was a um, middle school teacher, so my former life uh, was a seventh and eighth grade math teacher for six years. Um, you were a former high school teacher, is that correct? Yeah, ninth grade. So not that far ninth away from grade. that. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So when I was teaching middle school. Um, I started to bring in puzzles into my classroom and I started to use them with my students every once in a while, just something for fun. And I learned a really important lesson is... Um, not everybody is as excited about puzzles as I am. So that was yeah, yeah. that was my first my first foray into that. I'm like, oh, okay. So some students really like this. Some students don't. Some students, um, it opens up some things for some students who maybe have not been successful in mathematics and maybe some other ways, more traditional ways. But maybe there are some logic puzzles uh, that can really interest some students and in where they can be successful. And, you know, there are those logic puzzles where you've got the grid and you're trying to fill in, you know, like which neighbor um, yes. has this last name and like which those. occupation. Yeah, yeah. I used to do those all the time. And when I say a logic puzzle, that's what people think about. Mm-hmm. But um, since then, I've really I've really learned that there are a ton, a ton of other types of puzzles that um, are logic based. And, and many of them have some mathematics to them that make them really kind of interesting and really um, kind of fun in some ways, all right? So uh, when I was starting then as a um, a mathematics education faculty member, um, I was doing all of my regular work and and publishing and doing things. And then once I got um, tenured, you know, that's when they said, well, now you can start to look at some other things that maybe you've had in, in the back of your mind. And so that's where I said, I've always really wanted to look at how maybe these kinds of puzzles could be used in a classroom. So here's where I started to then um, dig into that. I I developed um, an inventory to use to look at people's uh, deductive reasoning skills, um, pre-test, post-test kind of thing. Then I um, would develop lessons for teachers to use with kids that would explore how kids think about these deductive reasoning puzzles. And then they would use them in their classrooms and then after some number of weeks, they would give the kids a post-test and look at the growth in kids' deductive reasoning skills. Um, and I thought that was really pretty cool. I thought that was that was great. Um, but then I started to delve into some other things. And, and that's where stuff has really blown up here for me in, in a really positive way. Um, so I've, I've gotten to do um, some other work. Um, one of the things that's really interested me is many of these puzzles come from Japan. And so I've um, started to investigate um, Japanese logic puzzles specifically as a subgenre, and and many of these these puzzles originate in Japan. You think about Sudoku, for example. That yeah. that name is a Japanese phrase, but the fun part about that is it did not originate in Japan. It's a U.S. Uh, product. Actually, there was a, a retired a retired architect from Indiana who made the first Sudoku puzzle back in 1979. And it was published in the Dell magazine, and it was something that got some attention, but didn't really catch on until the mid-80s when this uh, Japanese puzzle magazine called Nikolai 
uh, they got it. They got a hold of it. They said, this is really pretty cool. Can we use this? And, and they're like, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Um, and then from there, they renamed it Sudoku. Um, and then when um, computers uh, were uh, designed to write, to have some programs on computers to generate a lot of Sudoku puzzles, that's when they started to appear in newspapers in the 90s. And then the rest is history from yeah, there. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so, oh, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, so I find Sudoku to be very interesting. It was kind of, it's it's kind of the gateway into looking at these logic puzzles for people, but it's a puzzle that I don't really look at that much. I, um, in fact, a course that I have taught here. Why? Um, why, why not? Well, it's just because, because it's so popular. Why, why not? Because everybody does them. Everybody does them, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there are. And I am not that fast at Sudoku. Um, I, it takes me some time to look at some of the different strategies and stuff. Um, but I persevere. I think that's pretty important. Um, but there are people who are just absolute whizzes in the world of, of puzzle solving. Um, and I don't want to dip my toe in those waters. Really, what I want to do is look at other things. And so a course that I've, I've developed here at Miami University, I've taught three or four times so far, it's called Beyond Sudoku, all right? So mm. I think that what I'm trying to get at here is, is there are tons of other things that are available. And, and Sudoku, like I said, it's a great way to get started. But man, there's so much more that you can do um, that digs into some visual uh, logic and deductive reasoning um, and some other aspects as well. I think it's just really pretty amazing. All right, so the Good. You piggyback right into, I mean, just led me right to this next question here, Jeff. That's, that's, that's why I'm here, Joel. That's perfect. Um, so like, let's, I mean, cause so people are like, well, what are these other puzzles? And, and I think some, maybe the next popular, I wonder if you think is like Ken Ken, is that like maybe the next most popular puzzle? Um, the story of Ken Ken, it was um, developed by a Japanese um a Japanese middle school math teacher. So there was a, a teacher who wanted to challenge his students and give them something more than just uh, rote um, problems or exercises to do in, in class. And so he developed this little puzzle where he put these things in grids, um, similar to Sudoku, where you've got um, one of each number in every row and every column. But what he did from there is he made other little regions, little um, cells or um, little little blocks of, of numbers in which he would tell people um, the product of these numbers is 72 or the difference between these two numbers is three. And so with those kinds of clues, um, you don't even need to be given any starting numbers like you do in a Sudoku puzzle, right. but you can go through and, and um, do some of that kind of stuff. So yeah, a Ken Ken, and by the way, uh, Ken is a Japanese word that means wisdom. Nice. And so when, when you put it in a square, you get Ken Ken, you get wisdom squared. Nice. So that's where that name came from. All right. So those are, those are two and two that I think I'm in. The only reason I say those is I think those would, and I don't know if they have these magazines anymore, but the magazines you find on the airplanes, like you would see those mm -hmm. two puzzles usually in there. So, but right. what are your, so you, you have a, a, a big database of, or you, know, you have experience with a variety of, of these different kinds of puzzles. So, Name, you know, I, I said three, but name, name your top puzzles that you, you'd want to share with us. Cause I know you shared some with me and I have a favorite, but I'll let you go first. Oh, okay. All right. Awesome. So there are lots of really great puzzles and, and this is, this is a real pat answer, but my favorite puzzle is the one that I'm working on right then. Right. So it's oh, whatever it is nice. that I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to do better than that, Joel. I'm going to do better. I promise. <laughs> but, um, Lately, the puzzle, the puzzle of puzzle life. That, yeah, 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 yeah. Lately, the puzzle that has intrigued me a lot is a, is a puzzle called Star Battle. Mm. So, in a Star Battle puzzle, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but no, it's, I think um, you sent me. That's the that, that's the last that's one, one that you I sent, sent you. Yep. Right. Uh huh. So it's it's one where you're given um, a grid. Typically, you know, it might be six by six grid, eight by eight, ten by ten, whatever. Um, and the standard puzzle is um, you've got to put one star in every row, one star in every column. This is you know, sounding an awful lot like Sudoku, right? Where you got one of each number in every row and every column. But in a star battle puzzle, the puzzle is also broken down into little regions where they might be um, a, 
a region of four squares. And it doesn't have to be a straight line. It could be a square. It could be a zigzag. It could be a letter T, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it might be a region that has 20 squares in it. I mean, there are all sorts of different sizes, but and they're all kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, yeah, jigsaw puzzle. That's Fitting right. them all together um, in, in a grid. And so the other rule is that every star has to, uh, sorry, every one of those regions has to have exactly one star in it as well. So one star appears in every row, one star appears in every column, one star appears in every region, the outlined region in the grid. And one final rule is that no two stars can be touching each other. All right, so with those rules in mind, every star battle puzzle that you would work on has exactly one solution. And that to me is one of the most intriguing pieces of doing these puzzles is that every single puzzle that you get has exactly one solution. Um, and that's the challenge for the puzzle designer to create a puzzle that has exactly one solution and has, um, has kind of uh, guideposts along the way to help the solver think about what's the next step that I can do? What is another strategy that I could use um, to work on this puzzle? Yeah, that, that one I, is interesting because I was like, at the beginning, I was like, well, this can't be that hard. But then they're like, oh, oh, like I'm trying, you know, positioning because I'm moving the paper back and forth, trying to see like rows and columns. Like, oh, that now that I know that this huge, you know, where could it, where could I put a star in this huge region? And then it's like, well, if I can't put it there, because it could be that's the only option for this region. And I can't put it there because that's there's two yeah, regions yeah. there. And that's there. Uh, oh, I, I really am limited. It has to go right here. Like, that's that's, that's right. great. And one of the things about a star battle puzzle is it's more important to start with not figuring out where a star goes, but where a star cannot go. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, when you think about some of say polio's problem solving strategies, right. Um, it's one of them is to eliminate possibilities. Right. So when you eliminate all of the other possibilities and only have one thing left, then you know, that has to be the correct answer. And so that's one of the strategies that is used in thinking about a star battle puzzle. If I if I've got a region that has five squares in it and I can eliminate four of those for one reason or another that could not have a star in them, then the only one that's left has to have a star in it. Yeah, and, and I think like you know the um gets me thinking like it, with statistical reasoning or like you have those null hypotheses and stuff like that and it's like well, if right. it can't be this, it's not this, but then it must be that. It's like that same sort exactly. of reasoning, yeah, that you have. And it's like we need to we need to be promoted. Like it's it's okay to not, yeah, we might not have the exact answer to nail it right at the beginning, but we can eliminate some other things. Like that's great. It's, it's great practice yeah. for people to engage in. Yeah. And so one of the things that I started to think about, Joel, um, with all these puzzles is are they helpful um with say middle school kids to develop deductive reasoning skills so that before they take a course, a math course in school that relies on deductive reasoning, a proof-based course or something, mm -hmm. um, like the standard geometry course, if students did more of these kinds of, I, I kind of think of them as more informal deductive reasoning activities, could that help them to be successful in a more standard, traditional deductive reasoning-based course? And my hypothesis is yes, yes, that it can. Um, but that is one research study I've not engaged in yet. Yeah. Well, uh, well we're looking forward. We'll, we'll have you on next year and we'll be able to report out. Oh, my. Oh, just next year. Okay, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, um, what about the, the L-shaped the L one? Oh, man. Is, that, so one your, is that one of your favorites? That it is. That is. There's one that Joel's talking about here. It's called Sashigane. Um, again, this is a, a Japanese puzzle. Sashigane is one where the region that you're given, all right, you're also given a region that's already broken down into some smaller regions. Um, and each of those regions, though, that you see now um, all have a specific kind of shape. They're all L shapes, like what Joel was mentioning. And um, so what you have are all these different L's. And an L might be um, one leg might be four units long. The other leg might be seven units long on a, on a large grid. Or you might have an L that's just like two uh, units long on each side. Um, but they're all L shapes. And by the way, the width of each of those legs of those L's are all just one unit wide. Okay. But the whole grid that you're shown from the very beginning is all these different L shapes. And um, actually, 
Um, that is the solution, not what you're showing <laughs> from the very beginning. Your goal is to create L shapes. Yes. So um, what you're trying to do now is to create, break the whole grid down into these L shapes and see how they how they might fit together. But you're given all sorts of clues inside the grid. Like you might be given um, a circle with a number in it. And that circle with a number in it um, is something that is, it tells you the total number of squares that is in a specific L. Like if you see a three with a circle in it, you know that that um, that L is going to be just three units long, um, you know, two up on one side and then one over on the other side. Which that's so a good hint because you know that there's only one shape for that one, right? It's got to be one, 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 for that. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. But if you got a bigger number, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to think about some of your different options. However, none of the L's when you're done can overlap each other. None of the L's can can go outside the grid. I mean, they and you, they have to fill the entire grid. That's the other part about this, this puzzle. You may also be given some other clues. Um, in some of the puzzles, they have little arrows and the arrows you'll find out all are the endpoints of different L's and they're all pointing in toward the center, uh, the, the bend and the, el the elbow of the L itself. So you're given some different clues like that, but you're not given all the clues you're just given some subset of clues. In fact, the subset of clues that you're given is just enough usually to find the one single solution for the puzzle. Um, so there are some really, really interesting designs that come about with this. And, and I wanna mention about how this magazine, Nikolai, comes about publishing these kinds of, of puzzles. So this is a puzzle that I, I saw in Nikolai maybe about 10 years ago or so. How do you and, spell that, Jeff? Um, Nikolai is N-I-K-O-L-I. All right. And um, in this magazine, um, they would first um, publish um, a small region, a small half of a page with three of these puzzles and, and one example. And all of the all of the directions are in Japanese, which I cannot read. So they would publish these and they would say, what do you guys think about this? And they would get feedback from readers, okay? They would get feedback from readers and readers might say, I really like this puzzle. Have you thought about adding this other rule? Or maybe this rule is too much. So it was kind of this collective oh, wow. um, um, development of these puzzles. And so once a puzzle would go through this, um, they would kind of call out some of the different puzzles. There'd be puzzles that were not very popular. So they would just stop with those. But when a puzzle reaches kind of its maximum um, interest in the readers, they would develop it into this full-on regular puzzle that would be featured then as um, a regular appearance in their magazine. So, which I think is really awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's all. I, I mean, just thinking about, I mean, um, the agency that gives to the those that engage in with that with that space, right? That like unbelievable. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. So I want to mention real quickly here then this idea about when I when I first was picking up these magazines and they were in Japanese and I don't read um, the Japanese characters at all, but I would see one example. There'd be one example of the puzzle with the, the puzzle and its unique solution. It'd be something small, usually like a five by five or something like that. And there wouldn't be anything else there. And if I didn't, you know, go online or something and try to look up what I thought maybe these rules would be. If I was just trying to figure it out um, before I would go to one of my friends who does read Japanese and get their assistance. I would try to look at that one puzzle myself and see if I could figure out what I thought all the rules are for the mm. puzzle. And so usually then what I would do is in an early um an early appearance of this puzzle, I'd go to the back of the magazine and look at a few more examples, not to see what is the solution, but can I um, inductively figure out what I think all the rules are for the puzzle just by looking at two, three, four examples. So um, in what I sent you that you saw on Facebook was really the after effect of, of once you're given all the rules and you are asked to deductively figure out solutions to all these puzzles, what you haven't seen yet, Joel, is before that, I do an inductive activity um, with teachers and with students where I give them um, three examples of a puzzle. Here is a puzzle, here's its unique solution. Here's another puzzle, here's its unique solution of that same type. 
and then a third one. And then what I have teachers do is an activity with the students to say, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Uh Um, What do you notice about some of these different, different puzzles? Is that enough? Um, What are some things that you observe? And is that enough to have a full set of rules that will give exactly one solution for each of these puzzles? Wow. I mean, that, again, great. So just that blows my mind already. Like, you're like, Hey, let's figure versus like, here, I want you to go do this versus like, what do you think we have to do? Like that, uh, that's, that's just right. opens the mind. So that to me has been the big kind of um, second phase of, of my work with puzzles is that's opened things up to me. Um, and it, it all developed out of my own struggles with looking at a Japanese puzzle and not having an idea what the rules were, but trying to figure them out myself. And then I realized that I could use the, use this as an application of the difference between inductive reasoning, figuring out what you think the rules are, and then deductive reasoning. Then once you know the rules, now can you figure out how to solve all these different yeah, puzzles? Yeah. Jeff, I wonder, like, are, would you see some connections, like, with how, you know, students or young people are? I mean, I even I'll, I'll point to myself, like, because I grew up with a video game machine. It was a Nintendo, but like, you know, you would get the video game, you throw it in. And you just try to figure out, well, what, what's the goal here? What, what, what am I exactly. trying to accomplish? Ooh, I, my character uh, did not make it there. So I like not to fall in the pit. Okay. Don't fall in the pit. I, that's, that's a rule, right? Or just trying to think like all these different things and, and to figure that out. And then like, oh, now I might need some help. I go to the manual and, or try to do some other investigations, but like having Absolutely. that sort of exploratory sort of mindset for, towards like, what is, what am I trying to do here? Mm-hmm. To me, that's one of the, one of the, um, one of the aspects of mathematics that I think we don't do enough of in, in schools is letting kids explore, letting kids kind of figure things out. Um, and I love I love kind of a, a, a investigative approach to mathematics where kids aren't told you need to use this strategy to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, This goes back to my days here. Um, uh, when I was a graduate student at Michigan State, I was working on the development of the Connected Math Project, and I learned from Glenda Lapp and I learned from Betty Phillips and Bill Fitzgerald and everybody else there um, about the value of investigative approach, to, an investigative approach to mathematics. And I just found that to be absolutely fascinating. And so I think that really did have um, some influence in how I'm going about doing these puzzles now. It's great to know what all the rules are, but I also love, I really, really like this aspect of, can you figure out what you think the rules are here? And the first time I do that with a group of, let's say, um, classroom teachers, um, some of them will be bothered by that to say, just tell me what the rules are. I just want to, I want to do this. And then after they play with this for a little bit, they really like that, that kind of investigative approach, that, that, that idea of what do you notice and what can you figure out about this? I think it's really a ton of fun. And so that's the way I've gone about doing these puzzles now. Well, and then almost, I mean, to go really far like thinking about the advanced advanced math when the most advanced i ever took was like a modern algebra class where you like hey what if we assume these were the w- rules of this mathematical world what what's true about it what happens like what do do do, do things connect in certain ways and it's like you'd play it's almost like you were playing in these like weird hypothetical math spaces and to see what that world's like and it seems like we can do that same thing in like in this puzzle world like, what do we think the rules are? What are the, what do we, and, and it's play. It is, we're, we're playing, we're playing in these spaces. That's, I don't know. I, I, you got me thinking now, Jeff, this is all right. Well, great. Good. Joel, that's always one of my goals is to help get you thinking. Cause I, cause I love what comes out after you start thinking about things. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you have, so, so there's another idea. I, well, okay. I'm interrupting you. Keep going. No, 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 please go right ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, so like, you've already like kind of opened up like, Hey, here's, here's one way you could use puzzles to teach. And like, we're like, especially these ones that maybe kids have not seen before, like the star battle or something like that. Um, and then allowing them some agency to think like here, maybe the rules are and see like what the solutions are. And then possibly even then you, I mean, if you're really going for it, kids are making their own puzzles, making their own even rules for types of puzzles. So how, how do you, what are other things that, that you have uh, either teachers do with puzzles or you've done with puzzles? Oh, oh my gosh. All right. Just, just tons of stuff. So um, before we go there, could I just mention a third puzzle that I want to Oh yeah, back? yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So a third puzzle that I that was for me the clincher for doing this um, is a puzzle that's called Shikaku. Okay. And Shikaku is a puzzle where when you're first given the grid, it's just a just a square grid, and it's got numbers and circles throughout the grid. And what your goal is is to break the whole grid down into rectangles, where each rectangle has one of those numbers in it. And that number represents the area of that rectangle. So it's got some similarity to the um, Sashigane puzzle. Yeah, yeah, that's what but I'm it's, saying. It's, it's um, much more basic. And what I love about this one, Joel, is that it is, you can talk about a bunch of other mathematical concepts. You can talk about factor pairs, all right? So if you see a number 12 in the grid, you know you've got to include that number 12 in a rectangle that is maybe two by six or three by four, or even if it's in a bigger grid, a one by 12 rectangle. So you've got to think about the factor pairs for that number. And you've got to look around to make sure that the numbers, that the rectangles that you create don't overlap each other. There's exactly one solution to fit all these things in. So you can talk about factor pairs. You can talk about prime numbers. So when you see a prime number in the grid, a three, a five, a two, a seven, that those numbers have only one type of rectangle. It could be a vertical or a horizontal, but you know, when you see a five, it's gotta be a one by five rectangle. So you can talk to students about prime numbers. You can talk about composite. You can talk mm -hmm. about numbers that have lots and lots of factors. And they have them. meaning, like it has a meaning. It is do. this kind of shape, yeah. They do. And so I have found this puzzle type to be extremely, extremely useful, say, in a fifth grade, sixth grade classroom. Um, and teachers really, really enjoy using it. And it's a puzzle that I first saw actually in Games Magazine, but it was called Partitions, Partitions Puzzle. And it and but it's exactly the same thing. Um, so I love that I saw it first in kind of an American magazine. And then I found its origin, Shikaku, which means divide by box. And you're going to find this um, find this type of puzzle in uh, Nikolai magazines. In fact, um, every issue of the, of the quarterly uh, Nikolai magazine puzzle, a puzzle magazine, has Shikaku puzzles in it, and they're just awesome. They're beautiful. Um, and 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 if I can say one more thing about it, oh yeah, yeah. Um, when you first look at these puzzles, all of the squares that have a circle with a number in them they have something to them. And what they do is they, they have symmetry to them. Um, all of the squares that have a circle in them are rotationally symmetric, okay? They make a pattern that has rotational symmetry to them. And what people may not realize is that that's exactly what we do in crossword puzzles. So if you picked up a crossword puzzle in the New York Times, in your local newspaper, in Games Magazine, wherever, and you look at where all the black squares are, there, if, if the puzzle um, is worth its weight, typically it has rotational symmetry of the black squares. You could turn the puzzle upside down and the black squares would be exactly in the same place. And that's the same thing with a, a Shikaku puzzle. All of the circled numbers are exactly in the same place. What does that do? That does two things for us. Number one, it is a challenge for the puzzle designer to create, right? If I just said, just put in numbers and they all have to fall in rectangles and those rectangles all come together and it's it's actually really pretty simple to do um and it's not that that interesting to the puzzle designer um but when you say now i want you to do it though where it has rotational symmetry of the starting numbers there's an extra challenge there and that gets me a little bit more excited as a puzzle designer yeah okay? That's number one. Number two, the other reason for it is it looks cool. It is much more inviting. Okay. It's much more inviting. And in the Japanese culture, there's a lot that they have to do with, with um, creating puzzles that have an aesthetic to them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. aesthetically, it's much more interesting. And I tell students, I want to see a puzzle where it says, come solve me. Right. So the yeah. puzzle is so cool looking because it's got the symmetry already in its starting digits or in the black squares in a crossword puzzle. It actually helps to draw the reader in, the, the solver in. And I think that is awesome. I think that is really, really cool. You know what's great about that? I mean, one, you, you think, well, that's, you know, part of me says, well, like, well, of course, they're trying to sell a puzzle. They have to do it. But like, there's, there's the puzzle is nothing without the solver. 
right? Without someone That's to right. engage with it. No one to dance. If no one's going to dance with you, like <laughs> it's like me and my sixth grade, uh, dance, like just staying in the corner. No, you want, you want, you want to have someone with you. Right. So like thinking about the, the designer has a challenge of not only designing a puzzle that, you know, is challenging, but is also inviting. Right. Cause mm-hmm. if, if it don't engage in that, we get back to this idea of the puzzle is almost a warm demander going back to some of our language that we talk about with, with math teachers, we want our teachers in general, we need them to be warm demanders. Like, Hey, this is going to be challenging. This isn't going to be just, I mean, cause anyone can, you know, or, there's nothing more disappointing than a real easy Sudoku puzzle where it's just like, I, this is just an exercise. It's not a, not a challenge versus right. like having something that oh, I'm, gonna, I'm challenged. So it's going to be an accomplishment, but I'm still, it, it's, 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 it's there with me. It's like, Hey, yeah, keep going. Like, yeah, you figured that out. All right. Now what's the next thing? Yeah, keep going. It's like, there, there is something there. And I love the, the aesthetic is part. I, I would never have guessed that, Jeff, but now it makes sense. Like, yeah, you come on, come solve me. Let's go. Come yeah. on. You don't want like, um, when we were going through elementary school, you don't want a whole page of, of exercises, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want just problem after problem after problem. Um, I think that in the puzzles that I sent you that you've already looked at, I tried to do some variations in some of those puzzles. They would have um, something about them. In many of the puzzles, I, I try to create them so that there's something about that puzzle that you hadn't maybe seen done in another puzzle before. Maybe there's um, a, a, a number or a direction or a type of a of a puzzle a piece that has to fit in that you've not ever had to use before. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that this can be done. And so that becomes the extra little challenge. Um, you know, if you do crossword puzzles and you go to the New York Times crossword puzzles, um, just right. just awesome stuff. Um, in their Monday through Thursday puzzles and in their Sunday puzzles, they typically have a theme in the puzzle itself. Right. So they might have some long words or, or something in the puzzle that is um, a connecting to a theme. These, these long answers all fit together in some certain kind of way. Um, so even sometimes in these logic puzzles, you'll see uh, kind of a theme happen. So, you know, I was talking about Shikaku. That's the puzzle where you've got all numbers given to you, and then you've got to find a way to fill them in with rectangles so they don't mm-hmm. overlap. I have seen um, puzzles where they only use threes and fives in the whole puzzle. Okay. Not very interesting yeah. because a three and a five, they they can only be these long sticks. Yeah. However, what if you change that up and, and you use just fours and sixes? Now you've got lots of other things that you can do and the puzzle becomes a little bit more interesting. And it, it actually shows some intentionality on the designer's part to say, yeah, I could just make a puzzle that has lots of different numbers in it. And there's even symmetry in the starting numbers. But when you make a puzzle that has another step to it, a puzzle that doesn't have um, anything but a certain type of a number or certain placements of numbers, um, then it gets really, really interesting. And that's that's a challenge for the puzzle designer. That's a challenge for the puzzle solver then too. And then that's, there's that interplay that you were talking about. Yeah, I was like saying like, that's the puzzle for the puzzle designer is figuring out how to do this like aesthetically pleasing or meeting these certain challenges or doing these things like, and, yeah. and then, like the, all the different roles that exist in there, like that's, that's pretty neat, especially with, when you're thinking about like some of these are either uh, crowdsourced or crowd developed, like through the Nikolai. I mean, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah. yeah. It is really, really, really cool. So you can go online and find um, websites that have a ton of these puzzles, say star battle, for example, there's a website that has tons and tons and tons of examples of star battle puzzles. And, in fact, Joel, um, of each size and each type, there are tens of millions of examples of those puzzles. Tens awesome. of millions of examples. So you can just sit there and go through these and, and they're just a neat challenge. I mean, there's tons of them, but I can also guarantee those are all computer generated. Mm. And I'm not saying that they're terrible. In fact, they're really pretty fun to do. Um, but there's an extra level, I think, that comes from a person designing it. And this is something that Nikolai, as a, as a puzzle magazine, really comes down on to say every one of their puzzles is, is not computer generated. It is human generated, nice. um, made by hand, drawn on a computer, but not computer created. OK, there. And, and that's where it gets really, really fun. Um, they have they have another puzzle. It's called Heru Golf. 
and your whole goal is uh, you're playing golf and, and you're given uh, the starting um, holes, uh, the starting tees with the, with the ball on them. And then you're given letter H's around the grid where you got to get the holes, the, the balls into those holes for the H's are, but there are also then um, water hazards or, or other types of sand hazards, for example, that may be in the puzzle. So you can't ever land your, your, the ball in there. It's got to go over one or around it or something. Um, and then when you're given a ball that say it starts off with a number three in it, um, you have to hit the first shot, a length of three in the grid. And then the next shot has to go down by one. The next shot you hit has to be a two. And the next shot after that would be a one until you get into a hole somewhere. And so it always decreases by one, but all of these paths that you're hitting the balls in, they can never cross other paths. Oh my gosh. So that's awesome. You're just totally limited by how to do this. And what I've seen then in Heru golf, which means pro golfer, by the way, um, when these are done, um, you can see some really great designs that puzzle creators have, have done. Um, and you can also see like the water hazards that they draw in the grid. Um, can be all sorts of different shapes. I saw one that had all like Tetris shapes in it to start off with, or there could be one that spells out something. I mean, they, they just do whatever they want to do just to make something that is interesting and it draws the, the solver into the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and Jeff, I, I think uh, safe to say like maybe we can um, get some links from you to put some links into the show notes so people Absolutely. can explore some of these things or. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, uh, obviously, my productivity is going to be going down after I get access to all that's, these. That's my goal. That is also <laughs> my goal. I always, I always have to say that when I'm doing a workshop with teachers or something with puzzles, I always have to stop them in the middle of something, and and I have to apologize one for stopping them because they're in the middle of something. We got to move on to something right. else, and then two, I just apologize to say I know that now this is going to consume some of your free time. Some of you, yeah, yeah. Some of you. And, and I always have teachers say that they're like, thank you. This is really awesome. But now I'm always, I've, I've downloaded this app for my phone that has all these Shikaku puzzles on it or whatever. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. So what, so we, again, we we talked a little bit before about teaching with puzzles. And so, you know, like exploring and thinking about what the rules are and how can we, and, and to kind of do what they do in the, the Nikolai um, uh, magazine. But what, what are some other ways that you've seen that uh, teachers or even you yourself have used puzzles in their teaching? Yeah, so, um, and puzzles now, I'm going to expand on this a little bit. And they're all kinds of paper and pencil puzzles. And I think that that it's really um, it's really quite interesting to see what people do with these. Um, right away, when, when teachers first see some of these puzzles, they'll say, oh, I've got this, um, I have a station um, in my classroom. And, and when kids need some, something they finish um, their work early, they need something to do. Um, I've got some of these puzzles there. And I think, well, that's that's great. I, I'm glad we can do that, but don't do just that, yeah. right? Actually use the puzzles to help teach some problem solving strategies. Use the puzzles to teach um, um, kids how to be uh, how to be tenacious, how, how to really kind of um, persevere on a problem. There are lots yeah. of things you can do. If it's just something that's just for fun off on the side, it might never reach its full potential. Okay. So, but if you can take some time and really kind of work through these with kids together, generating ideas, making observations, that's where you can really get some, I think some mileage out of these. Um, I've also um, recently, you know, with the advent of Wordle, that's been a, a huge hit um, lately in the past yeah, yeah. month, half or so and variations from there um there's there's a lot that people do um working together with kids so a parent might want to sit down and work on one of these puzzles whether it's a wordle puzzle or one of these shikaku puzzles um actually work through these with your kids and talk about strategies together you know i i, I see this happen an awful lot um parents have some ideas kids have different ideas and Kids learn to be much more resilient um, if they can see other ways to think about something, to work together with somebody. I mean, I, when I do these puzzles in a classroom, I always do them in pairs or triples in the classroom because kids learn so much from each other. But it's also an activity you can do at home. Um, I've also had, after I've done puzzles with a classroom, I've had kids say, hey, I took a copy of these 
to my grandpa. We went to go see him um, over the uh-huh. Christmas break or something. And now my grandpa wants to know where he can find more of these. This is really kind of fun. So um, some people make claims that these kinds of things can be really good for people to keep their minds kind of agile and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have proof of that. I don't have research that shows that. But I think that there's an awful lot to be said for keeping your mind kind of active and and always looking for some things like this. Yeah. What well, um and just playing off of Wordle, there's also all the other variations. There's the Nerdle, that's the uh, equation, or there's Worldle, right? Where you have to find. Yeah. The, do you have a do you have a variation of Wordle that's your favorite? So uh, just lately, I've been really doing um, some of these expansion ones. There's um, one that's uh, um, it's Quartle. And so you're solving four words at the same time. I don't know. If My son does that one. Yeah. He likes that one. Too. So yeah. explain. So, yeah. So Quartle, you're given it's Q U O R D L E, but um, you're given four five letter words to start out with. And you make a guess, you make a guess, just like you do with Wordle. You guess one five letter word, you fill it in and it gives you um, the red and the yellow feedback on letters um, in all four of the words. So now your, I guess your, your decision is, do I just keep working on one of these words or do I just throw out some more words just to get some more feedback? And that's what I do is I'll, I'll do, I, I pick three different five letter words that each one has five unique letters in them. And none of those letters is repeated in those three words. So I'm, I immediately start with 15 different letters. I'll put those out there and then I'll get feedback on all four of the words that gives me um, information about, you know, if the word, if the letter's in the right place or if there's the right letter, but in the wrong position. And then I develop that and then I'll start working on one of the four words, maybe the one that I've already got the most information on. And then I'll start winnowing it down. Well, Joel, there's quartal. There's also octortal. So they're, they're, oh my gosh. they give you eight. <laughs> and then most, most recently, um, two nights ago, I, I discovered sequartal and it has 16. Oh my gosh. 16 words at the same time. And it's just, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing, nothing new about it. In fact, each one says we base this on this previous one. All right. Yeah. Um, but it's really kind of interesting and I'll challenge myself. All right. After I guess three words, on an octortal, I'll, I'll, I'll guess three words, tortal. Um, I'll guess three words. And um, from there, I want to see, can I figure out all eight words at that point without missing anything after that? That's my challenge. That's awesome. I it's love it. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, and, and also too, and, and I think, you know, and, and I throw it to you, I think the power of this too is this idea of community, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about the Nikolai, the power of community there in developing and refining like what a puzzle is. And then also the with Wordle, like, you know, people are sending, I mean, I have my family text message where people are sending their their little shared, you know, solutions uh, to everyone else. And like, oh, I got in three, got in two, or got it, oh, didn't yeah, get it today. Yeah. And like, unfortunately, I'm having a lot of those days. But anyway, like there's I love the, the, it. I think the community so aspect cool. of it. Yeah. Yeah, the community aspect of this is fantastic. And I think that's that's one of the 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 real beautiful aspects of this. And and you know, as we've been separated and 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 isolated a lot over the past two years, um, I think we're searching for community. I think we're mm-hmm. searching for ways to connect with people in different in 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 different ways. And so I think this is an example. I think maybe that's why Wordle has taken off so much. Um, and I think that's really fun. I think that's fantastic. And so any way that I can use any type of puzzle to help bring communities of people together, I think it's fantastic. And I think it is, um, I think it's, it's, it's really fun that way. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just, it's education, entertainment, there's, yeah, there's you know, buildings of skills. There's the community aspect. I mean, puzzles are good. I think yeah, that's, and maybe that's the, the punchline. Puzzles are good. <laughs> puzzles are good. Um, and it's opened me up. You know, I, I started to learn more about recreational mathematics after I, I learned about Martin Gardner from that book that I got when mm-hmm. I was a fourth grader. Um, I learned who Martin Gardner is, is, was, and, and all of the work that he then was doing with his regular column, um, 
that would expose people to lots of mathematics that was being discovered in the 1960s and the 1970s and, and recreational mathematics, mathematics that people at home without a PhD in mathematics could kind of really dig into and kind of play around with. And to me, um, these puzzles do a lot of that same kind of thing. That's awesome. So, um, Jeff, I appreciate your time. Appreciate all the, uh, and I gave you a little bit of, I know that you've got a couple books out there that uh, are available. They're, they're on Amazon. They're available. Um, they, they are. So, so it was fun. One time, Joel, I was doing a, a, a workshop, um, a session at an NCTM conference. And after my, about some of these puzzles early on in, in my, in my time working with these, and someone came up to me afterwards and she said, Hey, these are really cool. Have you ever thought about writing a book? I'm like, no, of course not. I, that's not the way my, my brain works. Yeah. And she said, I work for this publishing company. We, we publish books um, for gifted classes, gifted students. And, and I said, well, these puzzles aren't just for gifted students. These are for everybody. And she said, yeah, I know, but, but I think this could be something that we could really do. And so working with that company, um, I, I wrote two books that just show four different puzzles in each one of these things. Um, but they are published by someone who sells things um, for gifted learners. But I don't think that they're just for gifted learners. Yeah. I think that they are for, for a lot of people. And I'm currently working on a book for NCTM, the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics, uh, contracted with me to write a puzzle book. Um, and so I've been working on that. I have seven chapters completed now. Um, there's one more chapter that I've just got it's got started working on and then an intro chapter that I need to wrap up. And then um, sometime the next year, I think this book should be available. So it doesn't nice. have a title yet. I can't tell you that. Uh, but the way this book is being set up different from my other ones, this one is being set up with a page that teachers can use for that inductive reasoning type of thing that nice. I, I was describing. So it gives you three puzzles with their unique solutions and then says, what do you notice? What do you wonder? Then it walks through the development of the ideas and then it, each one has like 30 different puzzles, um, new puzzles to give people to do. And that's what you were helping me out with to get some, some leveling of the different puzzles. Um, and I'm getting feedback from lots of people that then I can use to help figure out what are some of the easier ones and what are some of the, the more difficult ones. Awesome. So you heard it here, folks, co-authoring a book with Jeff. It's great. <laughs> well, I'm going to have about 40 co-authors on this book in that respect. So, hey, and so I'm... I'm the open invitation when that when that book is ready to go, come on back and let's 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 talk about it. Let's celebrate it and let's talk more about puzzles because it feels like fun. Feels like we got more to talk about. And I always and again, I, I always say the big excuse or the the big uh, secret of this podcast is not not a secret because I say it all the time is that it, it's a it's a great opportunity to have conversations with with my friends and and also share some of the brilliance uh, through the podcast. So thank you, Jeff. I'm excited. This was a ton of fun, Joel, and I really appreciate your your time and putting all this stuff together into continuing this good work. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. There it is. There's my conversation with Jeff. Um, I enjoyed having it. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it. And hey, he's got some books out there. And so there'll be links in the show notes. Show notes can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 67. So go ahead and look there and we'll put links to his books. And then if it's by the time the new book's out, which might be for a while, hopefully actually we have him on again when the new book comes out. Um, let's actually, let's make that the plan. Let's make a little note there. All right. But anyway, I'll have links to those two books, spatial reasoning puzzles that make kids think grade six through eight and math and logic puzzles that make kids think grade six through eight. And guess what? It makes uh, adults think too. And, uh, and I think there's some pretty amazing, fun stuff, fun stuff in those books and also some intriguing ways to think about how to teach with those, uh, those materials as well. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you were looking, looking to support the podcast, just, you know what you got to do? Go and rate the podcast. Spotify now has ratings. Um, Amazon or the, I, I, it's not iTunes anymore. Apple Podcasts, they have ratings. Anyway, wherever you get your podcast, if there's a way to rate it, please rate it. If there's a way to review it, please review it. And if you think somebody would like this episode, and actually I can think of one person I had a conversation with this past week where I'm like, I am going to send them this episode. I'm actually releasing this episode early because I want to share it with someone who I had a conversation with on like talking about problem solving and how do you um, how do you teach problem solving. And some of the stuff that Jeff is like, well, there we go. Jeff just brought the answer. And so that's, that's why I love this podcast. I love doing this is because when I have conversation with folks and I'm like thinking about it for myself and I'm also like, 
who else could benefit from this? And there's people out there that are benefiting from these conversations. So thank you again for listening. Thank you again for sharing. And again, if you think somebody else could get uh, some use out of this episode, please go ahead and share it. Uh, also, you can look on the socials. We're at Amazon Planet on most social media platforms. You can also join the email list uh, at AmazonPlanet.com. There's many buttons there to join the email list. Um, and then you can also support the Amazon Planet podcast by going to the Amazon Planet store, Amazon Planet bookshop. We got some swag there. We're looking to upgrade the swag in the near future. So that if you like the Be the Good um, stuff that's out there and you're looking at, ooh, I, I really want that shirt. I'm thinking about getting that shirt. Well, you better get it because we're going to change things up in a little bit. So uh, you can find the links to the Amazon Planet store, the Amazon Planet bookshop uh, in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com. That's all the way at the bottom of the screen. All right. So again, Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace. Peace.